Hey friends, welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is your host today, Michael Carey, and my guest I'm really excited about, been looking forward to this interview for a while, Matt Winger. Matt grew up in Kansas City. He has a master's degree in couples and family counseling from University of Missouri. And he began his clinical work with traumatized children and young people. Now, after moving to Colorado, he connected with Begin Again Institute and started working with problematic sexual behavior. Now, Matt became the clinical director for Begin Again in 2020 and then helped build and launch a faith-based program, Begin Again sister program called Boulder Recovery. This launched in 2021. Now, he has seen... um, close to a thousand men through these programs, which is pretty remarkable. Now I know men and women both struggle with problematic sexual behavior, um, but there are certain niches that, that uh, counselors have, and this program specifies on helping men who struggle. And then the women also who have been betrayed by such behavior is uh, helped through the begin again Institute. So welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I love your podcast. I recommend it to a lot of folks. And yeah, it's an honor to be here. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So I um, just want to start out by asking if you could just tell our listeners, what do you guys do, you know, in Boulder, if you could explain what these programs are about and stuff and and uh, what, what do you have to offer out there? Sure. So we kind of specialize in uh, kind of a unique treatment Format. We do uh, two-week intensive programs for men that are struggling with porn and sex addiction and um, intimacy disorders and um, other problematic compulsive you know, sexual behaviors. So uh, what we do is we, we're a closed program. So we take eight to 10 guys at a time and they live together and they eat together and they do their therapy work together and, um, you know, that in and of itself is a unique aspect of the program, but um, we're, you know, we're also doing deep clinical work with them and individually as well through that time. And um, the secret sauce there is that we get to tackle the real core of what porn and sex addiction really is, right? Is a, a difficulty in building authentic and intimate connections with other people. And we're not just, going to throw a bunch of guys in a room and then have them go back to their hotels. We're going to teach them about how to be vulnerable and authentic with each other. And after that two weeks of going through the, the muck with, with the, with each other, they have a bond there that is emblematic of the bonds that they can create in their lives. Um, if they continue on that recovery journey. So we're going to help identify their traumas. We're going to help treat their traumas in individual and group work really dynamic uh, work that we do together. And then we're going to teach them about addiction. We're going to teach them about betrayal trauma and the damage that they've caused in their addiction. And then we're going to equip them, um, uh, you know, with tools to start a strong recovery or to restart their recovery or engage with their emotions differently. Um, Because we get, we see a lot of different types of clients and a lot of different guys at different stages of their recovery. Some are, you know, just starting and just trying to get a handle on their behaviors. Others are, have been in recovery for a while, but they keep relapsing. And then others are um, sexually sober, but they're still dealing with their, you know, um, the emotional 
kind of side effects of, of trauma and um, long-term addiction, like rage and depression and anxiety. And they're not acting out sexually, but they're kind of that in that dry drunk kind of uh, phase is what we call it, where they're, they're not coping well without their, without their main coping behavior. So yeah, mm-hmm. we, that, that's kind of the 30,000 foot view of our, our program. And we have our Begin Again Institute program, which is um, for all, you know, people of all backgrounds and traditions and our Boulder Recovery Program, which um, is really where my heart is for um, Christian men that are struggling with porn and sex addiction. And have also been perhaps um, run through the ringer um, in their church community or or whatever because of these things and are really wounded and hurting and have also really wounded and hurt a lot of people and need to encounter the gospel in a new way. And, um, and, you know, and still get those addiction and trauma work, you know, done as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's incredible. <clears throat> yeah. I love, love what you said about, um, well, so many different pieces in there, but, uh, one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking was uh, specifically on, uh, building those deep relationships, uh, yeah. that we all need. I mean, that's the way that all people are wired and created by God is to have that. And so I think that uh, of all the different moving parts, you know, that's definitely one of the reasons, one of the you know issues behind it, <clears throat> just this lack of real quality relationship that's, that's there that guys are longing for, you know, and I guess stereotypical Western civilization, we suck at relationship is what it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. So how do we, yeah. um, how do we get to that place where we, you know, I think, I think in order to really have that depth of relationship, we have to experience it from other people who maybe have already established that and are vulnerable because it doesn't feel safe to be vulnerable. Does it? No, especially gosh, with this, um, with this addiction and and it usually starts so young, right? So some, you know, we talk about maladaptive sexual behaviors, right? That it got introduced really early on in life, you know, it may be seven, eight years old, maybe younger than that. You know, there was, you know, molestation or sexual abuse or, or pornography that was introduced or whatever. And, 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 and the men that we work with, you know, they can't remember, you know, a time where they didn't um, feel different or broken or, or gross, or, you know, shame, you know, and they go so far back for them. Um, Mm. So when, how, how do you have intimate, authentic, close relationships with people when you see yourself that way, and you've always seen yourself that way? Well, you have to pretend, and you have to perform, and you have to put on these kinds of, you know, fronts for people to, but then if they accept you that way, then they're only really accepting, you know, the, the profile that you've created and internally you say, they don't really know me. And if they did know me, they would reject me and they would think I was disgusting or awful. So I can't let anybody see my true self. I'm just going to project this thing out here and they can get to know that guy. And then I can, you know, navigate the world that way. And, um, uh, the, 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 the tragedy is, and, and you know, this, when, when you work with betrayed partners is that's, that's their experience 
through betrayal is that now they're carrying the secret of having been betrayed and they're feeling shame about, you know, misplaced shame about these, um, what's happened to them and what, you know, whether or not it, you know, that the lie that it was their fault or that there's something wrong with them. And now they're carrying that same thing too, that how do I ever be close to somebody again? Because the person I was closest to really hurt me. And, and so you see how these mirror each other, right? The, the tr- early life, early um, life trauma of someone with sex addiction, and then the trauma that gets passed on through the addiction. And either way, it's creating a, a, a situation where intimate relationships are really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That is uh, so true. And that's um, one of the things that we work on in our groups. Our men's groups are called Men in the Battle. And, you know, these guys um, having that common denominator of problematic sexual behavior, they all um, are able to open up a little bit more. And so they can kind of try on the real you know, self that, uh, and put away the masks and they get to try that on in the group. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's the way it was for me too. And just, um, just everything that you described about having the masks and personas and pretending to be someone else and hiding the faults and weaknesses. And, and it's like, and all the shame, you know, that's, you're telling my story for sure. (laughs) But um, that's the cool thing about the program is that you get a bunch mm -hmm. of people in the room that all have that, you know, same modus operandi, right? And, and you say, Hey, we're going to talk about the most painful stuff in your life, the most the the areas (laughs) of biggest shame in your life, the deepest in your life. And the uh, I'm running you... and I'm running away from that, kicking and screaming, not going to do that. Never, ever, ever. But then, and then I experienced it and I love it. It's like, what? Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And that, that keeps me coming back to it every time is, is that you get to see that transformation of, oh, wait, you know, all of this junk about me. And not only are you not running, but I now I'm closer to you than I was before. Wait, how does that work? And um, wait, I can do this with my wife. I can do this with other relationships in my life. And in select and safe ways, I can be um, vulnerable and authentic and people aren't going to reject me. And, and um, that's a powerful thing. And, and, and that's, you know, not every program is set up for that. Um, kind of experience. So we're really proud of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really love that this is, um, you know, the two week program that you have, the two week intensives uh, is um, it's, it's not a six month program or a month long program. I mean, it's something that I think um, it makes, it makes it more accessible for, for a guy to be able to embrace that, to get time off of work or whatever it is. And yeah. so, that's mm-hmm. kind of the point, right? We want to keep the price point accessible. We want to keep the time um, the time commitment accessible. And we're under no illusions that two weeks is going to cure this. But what we want to do is give guys an in-depth, deep dive into what's going on for them, what traumas um, you know, are triggering their behaviors, what's the 
patterns and dysfunction in their relationship and give them a bunch of tools and 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 uh, profound therapeutic experiences that are going to give them a running start into a lifetime of recovery. Um, and, and you know we we're able to accomplish a lot if when you're doing work eight to ten hours a day every day. Where a lot of you know thirty day, sixty day, ninety day programs, they're not doing that much programming. You know every day, and and it's more spread out and those are valid programs and they're very helpful, but the main feature of a lot of those programs is just time away from the behavior and time away from the stressors and time away from, you know, the patterns. And in that, given that time and some therapeutic work in there, that there's going to be some healing happening. And we're just doing that in a more condensed, you know, format. Yeah, so. absolutely. <clears throat> Exactly right. So the model that, and I've seen this on your website and read a little bit about it, but I'd love for mm -hmm. you to talk about the model TINSA, T-I-N-S-A is like an acronym, right? What, what does, what, what do these letters mean? Can you, can you talk and uh, just elaborate on what, what is this all about? Yeah. So a TINSA stands for trauma induced sex addiction. So, um, you know, the, the N is induced, right? So um, trauma-induced sex, sexual addiction. And the theory behind TINSA is pretty straightforward. Um, you know, sex addiction, just like any addiction, arises in the life of, of someone to regulate a dysregulated nervous system. So trauma and in, in the inability to regulate off of a caregiver, either because that caregiver was not there or not emotionally present or dangerous or, um, you know, not, not a safe person. And, you know, so I don't have the, you know, this young person doesn't have the ability to regulate with their caregiver. So their stressors and the hurts and pains and traumas of their early life, they have to figure out a way to regulate that nervous system. So you know, this introduction of a, like I said, maladaptive sexual behavior, um, it arises to help regulate that nervous system, you know, and it's not a revolutionary idea. What was interesting about TINSA is that when it came out, you know, 10 years ago, it was right at the crest of the wave of how we were seeing how trauma affects so much within the body, within the brain, within the nervous system. And making that simple connection that, well, what if sexual addiction and problematic sexual behaviors and compulsivity around this behavior um, um, is more than just a behavior, it's more than just a character issue, that um, there's some root here, that there's some trauma here that's trying to be managed and trying to be regulated. And what if we looked at it from that lens and started to treat it um, from a trauma point of view? Well, not you not without removing accountability for the choices that that are being made, but you know, meeting that accountability and also the root of the behavior. So many guys want to know why I do the things that I do. I don't understand why I keep doing these things. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it again, and I don't particularly even like doing it when I do it, and I definitely don't like it when I'm done doing it. 
So why do I keep doing this again and again and again? And there's some nuance there. I'm sure, you know, Michael, I'm sure you know, like, you know, uh, a lot of guys will will overlay their sexual behaviors with a narrative that sounds like, no, I do really like this stuff and I just need a new relationship. I just need to marry my affair partner or I just need to get a divorce and just be free to do what I want. And and that's really just who I am. I'm a bad guy who does bad things. But below the surface of that narrative that they've created is all this wounding and hurt and pain and they don't are not actually getting what they think they're getting out of the behaviors and that's the definition of an addiction right i i'm doing the same things over and over again trying to get a different result so so we so when guys come to us and they want to know the why what we're doing is we're going to we're going to help identify some of those root and core traumas that c- connect directly to their sexual acting out behaviors and a lot of times there's a light bulb there. You know, insight only gets you so far. You actually have to do the trauma works, you know, of unpacking those experiences and feeling through them. But but that's what Tinsa sets you up to do, right? To start looking at your um, sexual addiction, your compulsive behaviors, the problematic behaviors through the lens of, okay, I am doing this to cope with the dysregulation in my body that arose from trauma in my life. And, um, you know, in all the work that I've done, I'm sure you have experienced this too. You know, I've yet to work with someone uh, with with sexual addiction that doesn't have a trauma narrative um, of of some type or form. Now, maybe they're minimizing it or maybe they're or whatever, but, but it's there, right? The, and we can get into the minutiae of, of kind of what all those narratives can kind of look like sometimes. But but uh, it's been revolutionary for our clients to experience their addiction that way. And, and the way I talk about it uh, is ultimately we have to learn to hold two things at the same time, which is really hard for addicts to do. We tend to be black and white thinkers, all or nothing, right? But if I can hold two ideas at the same time in terms of, you know, what Tinsa can mean for me, um, it would look something like this. In one hand, I hold the truth that I have been the victim of trauma. Okay. And in the other hand, I have to hold the truth that I have perpetrated trauma into other people's lives in my addiction. And I really can't let go of one in preference for the other. You know, and I explain this to our clients that if I let go of my, you know, identity or my the reality that I have been victimized as in my trauma, that I'm just going to hold on to the fact that I perpetrated trauma and that I've done bad things, that I'm a bad guy, that it's done bad things, I'm a monster, I'm a pervert, or whatever terrible things that people make up and tell themselves internally. But if I, but if I let go of my accountability for the damage that I've done and only hold on to my role as a victim of trauma, then I'm not responsible for the choices that I made. And it, you know, can't you see how how hurt I am? And can't you see all the damage that my parents did or or, or my abuser did? And this is why I do those things. So you, you know, you're not allowed to be mad at me for the ways that I've hurt you, right? It's it's, it's dysfunctional either way, right? So I have to hold two truths at the same time 
And mm-hmm. and that that's Tinsa in a nutshell, right? That I that I have to recognize the traumatic roots of my behavior and I have to take accountability for the trauma that I brought into other people's lives as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many truths to unpack in there and so profound, but um uh totally. So Tinsa trauma induced sexual addiction. Um, I think what you just said is is so profound, holding both truths together, you know, because if we just continue to think of ourselves as a bad person, then that just continues to feed into the narrative that we have had all the years, you know, that the the dysregulated nervous system. Okay. If I just keep believing that about myself, that's not, uh, I'm not going to have a a regulated nervous system when I'm, when I'm continually living in that narrative. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's not healing. And, but the, the good news is, you know, about holding both of these together at the same time, these concepts is that there is a way out. There is healing and there is hope. And that's that's the thing that 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 I think that's that's the profound healing uh, moments in a relationship between an addict in recovery and a betrayed spouse or partner is when uh, someone who's been deeply damaged can draw from their hurt and pain to feel with the hurt and pain of someone else and say, yes, I did that to you. And I'm accountable for that. And I can't even imagine what you must be going through. And I am going to draw from the ways that I was hurt as a young person to feel with the damage of this person that that I have caused. And in those moments, when I can access that kind of empathy through connection with my own trauma and accountability for the trauma that I perpetrated, then healing can happen in that relationship then I can deepen my own emotional maturity. Then I can encounter stressors in my life in a way that is uh, manageable and healthy. Um, That's the real, that's the real gold right there, right? When we can do that. And so Mm -hmm. I, you know, you guys, guys fall into ditches on either side of this in recovery don't they, right? That either they hear the message of, okay, this is a, there's trauma is the reason that I'm like this. And they, you know, woe is me. And this is the horrible things that happened to me. And everyone just can feel sorry for me. And don't you understand? And this is why I do these things. And in fact, uh, you know, honey, the way that you are mean to me and the way that you treat me is reminds me of my trauma. And that's why I go and do those things. And it's blame shifting and there's some gaslighting there, right? But there's just this kernel of truth, though, right? But it's dysfunctional, right? I'm over-identifying with that trauma, right? Or I swing to the other side and and I'm just a terrible person and I live in that shame, right? And I live in that. And shame is deceptive because it encourages me to only feel my feelings. And don't you understand how you're anger and hurt makes me feel don't you understand that you know that look in your eye or or how dare you you know i've been in recovery for six months how dare you be suspicious of me you're you're making me feel shame right and now i'm now it's it's all about me again and, and shame is that 
um, kind of selfish emotion. It robs the other person of their ability to feel, and it makes it about you. And so, so there's these ditches on either side of healthy recovery. Either I am over-identifying as a victim or I'm over-identifying with my shame. And then reality, man, if I want to pursue health, then I've got to, I've got to hold both of those things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Excuse me. And another, I think another piece to it as well is um, when the sexual addict can see um, the pain that they've caused other people instead of wallowing in shame uh, we can actually use that as fuel to go into the other side and do the necessary work on the original trauma, right? I mean, you could use that as yeah. as a motivator. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I do not want to cause this kind of pain in someone else's life again. So we can be accountable for for that, and and turn it around to to use it as a motivator. Like, I don't want to continue to do this, yes. right? Yes. And that's the, that's, that's the exciting part of doing trauma work. You know, when we come to that place of, I don't want to keep doing this. I'm burning my life down. I'm hurting all these people that I care about and they don't even believe that I care about them. And so, you know, what, what do I got to do? And it feels counterintuitive. They will no. actually what we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to visit your hurt and your pain. Oh, well, how does that make sense? Because I, what I really need to do is just stop doing these things. And we'd say, well, let's slow down and let's first understand why you're doing these things. What are you trying to get out of it? What unmet needs are you trying to get met in this behavior? How do we address those needs? How do we feel through and, and heal some of this trauma? And what we're doing there, while it feels counterintuitive to go backwards and, and, and work that way, we're actually teaching um, self-compassion. We're teaching empathy. We're teaching connection with your own nervous system, with your own self. Look, if I can't do any of those things, then I don't have a chance at doing them with other people. If I can't mm-hmm. connect with myself and my own hurt and empathize and compassion you know, directed at myself, I don't have a shot at doing that with other people. Not, not a shot. I'm going to pretend I'm going to fake it. You know, I'm going to act, try to pretend that I'm empathizing, but where this stuff breaks down, Michael, you know, this is um, like, if I can't connect with my own emotions, how am I in the world? Am I going to connect with somebody else's? I'm just going to fake it. Right. Hmm. So yeah, w- that's where, you know, that you can really observe change happening is when people are, um, going back to those painful memories, that seven, eight, nine-year-old, ten-year-old kid, and having compassion on him, and loving him, and and in seeing him through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of Christ, and and what he was, um, and what he can be, right, and and who God created him to be, and then I can take that same compassion and love, and bring it to all oh, that little girl inside of my partner and what was she created for and who is she in the eyes of God and who, what does she deserve in a partner relationship in a marriage? And oh man, she was just a 12 year old girl who just wanted somebody that would see her and protect her and hear her. And I can come from that place of connection with my own hurt and pain 
to meet her. You know, I was working with this couple the other day and, you know, he, he started, he was, he was crying as he was un- finally connecting. He's like, Oh, I see that 12 year old girl. And she just got run over by a car and I'm the one behind the wheel. And he was weeping and saying, I just want to run over to her and I just want to pull her into my arms. I want to take her to the hospital. I want to care for her. I want to do whatever I can because that's what happened to me. Right. And, and that that's that's a beautiful connection that we can make. And we can only do that not by just trying to manage behaviors, but by finding the emotional root of those behaviors mm-hmm. and why we're why we're doing them. That's the way out. And that's really um, exciting. And, you know, you can see how the gospel fits into that, too. And and, and, that, and that's really fun to be a part of. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, and just, uh, backing up to what you said before that, um, sequence and thinking of how, um, a wife may treat her husband in a way that reminds him of his trauma from the past, you know, okay. So maybe she is being unkind, right. Um, that does not justify looking at porn. It doesn't justify right. going and yeah. having an affair or yeah. going to a prostitute or anything like that. I mean, that's, um, but why in that moment does it seem like, um, and, and you mentioned this too, uh, for so many guys, I, th- I think there's a, you know, there's a, there's two different camps. There are the, the one, the guys who are aware, like, I don't, I don't want to be doing this, but I do it anyway. And then there's the guys mm-hmm. who create the story that they right. are, that they, that this mm-hmm. is what they want. I I do want this. This is, um, yeah. I have an exaggerated sex drive. That's why, mm-hmm. you know, they're right. trying to make, right. they're basically trying to make up a, a narrative that's going to justify mm-hmm. it so that they can feel better about themselves. So they don't have to go into the, I'm the bad guy exactly. piece. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you find both of these different camps can get the healing you i mean is there any preference either way some guys who are they insist that they have you know this exaggerated sex drive i think if they do start to unpack the trauma narrative maybe they can start to understand the past and how it affects the present you think is that possible oh yeah and and to be honest right um and this sounds it's probably gonna sound pretty weird but like i I find denial a lot, a lot like interesting. I find it pretty interesting. And the story, and the stories of the guys that come in and they're just really broken by their own behavior, and they're ready to do work, and they always do really well in our program. But it's the guys that come in, kind of at the end of a shotgun barrel, and they said, "I'm really only here because I have to be, and because there was some intervention in my family, or my wife said if I don't come, then we're going to get a divorce." and I don't really want to do that. And, you know, that, that, that those stories are, um, are powerful too, because it doesn't take a lot of um, discussion to arrive at the idea that the behaviors that you are choosing to deal with the stressors and the relationship conflicts in your life are, uh, pretty untenable, pretty, 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 you know, it, it, it lacks a, a linear logic to it. Like you said, like, oh, I, I have a difficult relationship with my spouse or I am have stress at work or I don't like my parents. So 
I, I should probably go sleep with, you know, two or three prostitutes a week. That's probably the way that this is going to be handled for me, right? And it doesn't take a whole lot of pressure to say, hey, like this, you're in denial, man. This is not um, healthy behavior. This is not someone who has, you know, uh, an exaggerated uh, sex drive, right? And, and let's examine some of these narratives that you're putting over this, right? And let's see if they hold up to scrutiny. And two things happen there. One, we can use the trauma narrative that that um, that we we tease out with them from their own experiences to show them how addiction has created a mirror of their um, trauma in their relationship, right? So now. So I've cultivated this person who's either really mean to me in my perception or really cold to me in my perception, which really lines up with my trauma, right? My parents were vacant or my parents were dangerous or abusive, or I was in a relationship with an abuser or whatever. And, and, and can't you see how that addiction has cultivated this other person to respond to you that way so that now you have a narrative to keep your addiction alive. And okay, well, if I'm not going to get my needs met, then I'm going to go get them met over here, which is really no different than the story of your childhood, right? So so there's that. And then the second part is, is that when you're sitting in a group of men and you're explaining these behaviors and, you know, more than half of them are there distraught about those same behaviors, it doesn't take very long for the other men in the group and the other clinicians to just kind of allow the um, the insanity of the behaviors to be the, the the its own argument. A lot of guys that are stuck in denial can really go into one-on-one -on -one therapy and be stuck there for a really long time because all they have to say is, "Oh, this therapist doesn't get it. They don't really understand me. Oh, they're full of it." But the thing about group therapy is. You get, you know, eight or nine guys in the room and you're all chopping it up and you may disagree with the therapist, but now you're finding yourself in disagreement with the other eight guys in the room. And you have to really think, mm -hmm. wait, are they all dumb or maybe am I in the wrong here? Right. And that's a little chunk of what I like to call objective reality. Right. It's not just a disagreement with the therapist. It's wait, maybe I'm way off base here. So. The program that, that as it's developed over the years has become kind of a, not, not all the time, okay, but a really great denial breaker, you know, just in the way that it's set up. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Wow, some really deep stuff in there, for sure. And um, thinking of how, how our past has affected addictive behavior, you know, I, I don't know anyone who um, has figured this out. Actually, there's only one guy in my 11 years in, in full time in this sector of ministry that I met. And I think God just outright told him for some reason, but so really one. Otherwise, I don't think anyone like figures this out. Who figures this out by themselves? I mean, we need help to understand yeah what the root cause is from this behavior, right? There's no one that can figure this out on their own yet. It's so elusive. We, you know, we want to keep this hidden and figure out the answers on our own. Yeah. <laughs> what do you yeah. think about, you know, the guys who 
the guys who would just continue to want to, to live in or, or either figuring it out by themselves or, or just the one-on-one therapist. You know, I know that there are guys that are listening here that, that need to get help. They need to be speaking to other people about this. Um, but yeah, there's the shame and and they just refuse to because of the shame, I'm sure. But what else is in there? Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, there's really no way that, that we can figure this out on their, on our own. The, 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 the temptation of that line of thought for a lot of guys that haven't been discovered in their addiction is if I can just figure this out and manage it, then I never have to get you know exposed. I never have to go mm-hmm. through the pain right. of, of discovery. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to figure this out and manage it on my own and what she doesn't know won't hurt her. And, and, you know, and, and I mean, you know, there's obvious um, levels of, of dysfunction with that, that line of thinking, but even for guys that have been through discovery and are working on their recovery, you know, there's all these blind spots. Okay. Where um, it's so layered. We don't really have time to probably dive into all that, but there are, there are reasons psychologically why, why I can't, face the fullness of my own trauma on my own. I'm defended against it. I have, um, I, I tend to minimize certain aspects of it. Like, oh, my relationship with my dad really wasn't that bad. And, you know, well, you don't understand like what his childhood was like, or, you know, my mom was just doing her best. And I know she shamed me a lot, but, you know, she was really just wanting the best for me. And right, we have these stories that we we tell ourselves and there's maybe some truth to some of those stories that you know a, a, a grain of truth to them and it makes them believable but it keeps us from really facing the depths of them and i remember um working with this guy and he was molested by his father um three times and and he would say in you know in our work together that well it was only three times Wow. You know, you know what I mean? And, and that's something that you can believe on your own, but once it comes out of your mouth in a, in a group setting with people that are being compassionate and paying attention and seeing you in that and say only three times, Mm -hmm. once you hear, what does, what does that feel like to say out loud? Only three times, only. What about your children? If that had happened to them, what would you feel about that? Well, I would, I would march over to that man's house and I would grab a baseball bat and you know, yada yada, right? Yada. right? But right. that was you. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so those kinds of yeah. that 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 man was never going to be able to face the hurt and anger and pain and sadness of that um, experience because he was trapped by the only. And he had no one that could come and free him from that only. Mm. Wow. Right? That, 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 that would even happen one time to a young person. It's such right. a tragedy, right? Right. And he was mm. held in bondage by his own only. But be, and then that only mm. was created by his family. Of, you know, we don't talk about our feelings and no, it's not that bad and rub some dirt on it or whatever. And, mm. yeah. and you're never going to be able to unpack that on your own. Mm. And to the... Uh, and to the other guys out there that are struggling in that one-on-one setting that aren't just fi- are not finding traction, um, 
I encourage you to engage with emotional depth work where I am actually doing um, the hard work of connecting with my own emotions. Where I, the biggest disconnect that I see with guys in long-term recovery is that they are they're not acting out anymore, but they are not connected to their own emotions. And it's not mm. psychological psychobabble, okay? It's God created you as an emotional being. Mm-hmm. He created you to connect with your emotions. He created you to connect with other people through the lens of your emotions. He created you to connect with him in the spaces of your emotions. We're, you're getting this mm. diet version of what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. What would it mean for you to engage in, in intimate and authentic relationships with other men in real ways around your hurt and pain, around your addictive behaviors? Take that step. Take that courageous step. And you know that you've heard this probably plenty of times. What good is feeling my feelings going to do, right? I'm just going to, I'm not going to be functional. I'm just going to cry and I'm never going to stop crying. And, you know, my response to that always is how functional is your life right now when you're trying to suppress mm. and shove all that stuff down? How, how's that working for you? Why don't we try an alternative and learn to feel through our feelings and see how that goes? Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't think that that is, that would result in a lack of function. I would imagine it would improve your functionality <laughs> in, in your life. So, so that's oh, my yeah. message to those guys for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I think that we could do an entire podcast just on that and <laughs> talking <laughs> through the, yeah, the emotions and all oh, of yeah. all that you just said, but, um, um, yeah, connecting with other people, with yourself and with God through your emotions, that's pretty profound. And, you know, what I thought of when you said that was really the greatest commandment, you know, to love the Lord, your God with all yeah. your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And that's yeah. uh, another dimension that we can connect because emotions are universal language. And it doesn't matter whether you speak you know, Mandarin or Japanese or Spanish or English or whatever it is, you know, everyone has this language of emotions. And yeah, it really is true that they, you're not really embracing the whole person, you know, without embracing that part that God created. So how can you fully live out, you know, uh, a successful life without that? um, Yeah. You look at every, um, you look at every hero of the faith, right? Every every Old Testament, um, you know, character, hero, you know, wh- where did God meet them? Did he did he meet them in their success, or did he meet them in their pain? Did he meet them in their, you know, where did he meet? he met the meeting ground between us and God are our, our emotion, right? That's where he engaged. That's where we meet him, right? That's where Elijah, you know, wandered into the desert. And he was depressed and he said, you know, that he wandered out there to die, you know, like, you know, let me die, you know, out here. And, and well, that, and God met him in that, in that place. And you, you go on and on and on, you know, David and Moses and Abraham and, oh man, Jacob is a great example, right? He's on the run from his brother mm. Esau 
and he uses a rock as a pillow and God meets him in that place. And this, you know, stairway of heaven comes down and angels are moving up and down. And what does he say when he wakes up? He says, God was here and I knew it not. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and that's, that's the truth of how God connects with us in those places of fear and sadness and anger and hurt and pain is that God is here and I knew it not. And if I can't mm -hmm. connect mm -hmm. with my own emotions, then I'm going to really struggle to connect um, with God in an intimate way too. I mean, he's mm -hmm. not immune to that, um, to that thing in our life. Now, the, the beautiful thing about God is that he, you know, he's, he's bigger than our projections. He's bigger than our trauma. He's bigger than our pain. And he sees us for who we really are. And he's chased us down to redeem us. Right. But, but, but on this earth, isn't it exciting? Wouldn't it be exciting if we could um, peel back those layers and go on that journey with him to know him for who he mm -hmm. is and not how our trauma tells us he might be, you know, so that, you know, that's a, mm -hmm. you know, we're not just playing therapy tiddlywinks here. We're trying to learn about how to be what it really means to be a human. And then we get addiction recovery thrown in, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. Learning how to be a human again, for sure. And live out the, the person, you know, that God really created us to be. That's well, um, I think. I don't think that addicts are at some disadvantage here. You could say, and, and, and man, I don't know, people might not like hearing me say this, but you could say that addicts actually have an advantage because if, I, if I'm in recovery and I'm doing that deep work, and I'm exploring that hurt and pain, and I am doing that work on myself every day to connect with myself and with others and with God, you could say that an addict in recovery has a leg up and the depths in which they've explored their own hurt and are filled with love and, and the compassion uh, of God, they become carriers of that love and compassion into the lives of others. And that an addict in recovery, in, in that sense, um, who's actually explored these things for themselves may have a leg up on someone who's never done any of that work at all mm -hmm. yeah so true so true well matt thanks so much for being a part of the podcast here and i uh, just want to talk about the resources we're going to put the links to begin again and to boulder recovery here in the podcast description so um, men and women can go and um and, and detach that and get get some help right and men can actually come to boulder and work work with you and your team directly right in these yeah. um intensives and stuff so that's pretty awesome and yeah um, yeah so um that totally want to take advantage of that and and all that um that these incredible ministries have to offer so thanks so much matt appreciate it yeah, thanks for having me. It's been um, it's been fun talking about these things and getting excited about about what God's doing in in, in the healing of of trauma and addiction. Mm -hmm.